The writer of the first epistle of John put it well when he said, there's no fear in love. For perfect love casteth out fear. Oh, the love of Jesus that can rid life of sorrow and pain and even in the midst of it overwhelm us with his comfort and peace and strength and joy. Uh, This morning I want you to turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12. And because of Romans to me is almost like a a twin book of Hebrews. Uh, Even though it's written to someone else, it's uh, probably the most doctrinal book of the New Testament. Uh, you, You look at Romans when you study it and you see judge the courtroom. Uh, You literally see the judge, Almighty God, and you see the convicted, the guilty party, us, and you see the mediator, Jesus Christ. And you see him going before the judge, and the judge pronouncing guilt, and the penalty being death, and Jesus, by his precious blood, says, put it on my account. That is the fullness of Romans in a very short and almost infantile presentation. But in Romans 12, it is, starts off so deep, and many of you can quote verses 1 and 2. Now, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service and be you not tra- uh, conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God he continues on and that is such an overwhelming entryway into this chapter remember when it was written it was just a continual letter and so he continues on that process based on your living sacrifice being reasonable and holy and acceptable unto God. As we continue on, then the gifts begin, begin to come through. And I'm not talking about Christmas gifts. I'm not talking about money. And I'm not talking about these uh, inanimate objects. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And he begins talking about them and how the body functions together in those gifts. And then we land smack dab in verse 9. I was talking to a teenager the other day. And we were talking. They were on their phone. And I said, who are you talking to? And they told me. Uh, I said, uh, well, you don't talk to me like that. I said, you don't like me, do you? And uh, I said, you don't like me like them, do you? And it was a little boy about a little girl. And they said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like you. And I said, but you really like her? He said, no, I love her. I said, oh, you do? How many times have we said, man, I I love a good steak. I love going shopping. I love going on a trip. Man, I love hot rods. I love my puppy. I love all these things. Love is probably the most misused words in the English language. Uh, We have dumbed it down. We have bought it. There are more songs and movie titles that have the word love in them. Just think of, I mean, true love, love actually. All this Love, 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 love. Well, there's a title right there. But really, what is it? What is is the essence? What is the very thing? 
First uh, John just overwhelms us. He said, for God is love. God doesn't do love. And I've said that many times, but we need to understand God is not this boxed up picture of what we think sometimes. We, we dumb him down to being an image much like you and I. Even though he came in the flesh as the son of God, he is still God. And we think of him as God that is subject to time or God is subject to weather. And God is, God is above all that. And when it comes to love, God is the very essence of love. God cannot not love, for he is love. It's just like saying God cannot tell a lie, for he is truth. He is not truthful. Men can be truthful, but the Bible says all men are liars. So is the Bible contradicting itself? No, because we can be very truthful. When I tell you God is love, I'm being truthful, but I have in many times in my life not been truthful. There has never been a moment God is not truth. I read something this week that is so simple but impactful in our life. God's will will never contradict the word of God. Sometimes we say, oh, I've heard people use the excuse. I just believe it's God's will for me to leave my spouse. And God understands and God's caused me and this person to come together. And they, they rationalize and justify their actions. And they say, well, I just believe it's the will of God. I'm here to tell you, if God's word says it's wrong, it's not God's will. You just ate too much pizza. She winked at you too many times. You're just too prideful. I want to expand and explore the depth of what he tells us about love in Romans chapter 12. On the simple, and I mean, how do you come up with a title for this kind of message? And it's just simply entitled, True Love. As I sat and listened, as Philip sang, and as he began to talk, he talked about how that, that true love of Christ overwhelms bitterness and other things that they had been talking about. And as I sat and listened, I just was fiddling with my ring. And uh, Emily don't like it. Uh, because she says it's not my wedding ring. Uh, it's not my original wedding ring. Uh, my original wedding rings, and I swapped back and forth. But uh, Becky gave me this one on our 20th anniversary. That's been a long time ago, too. Uh, you are. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But as I looked at it, and there's five diamonds in it. I thought about the years in each diamond. And I, I, thought, I looked at that first diamond and I thought about the first four or five years, six years. And I thought about that first little house in Hiram. That was pitiful. I mean pitiful. And I learned, don't ever let her pick out carpet. I made the mistake twice. She put pink carpet in her first house. And blood red carpet in the second one. And after the second one, she even said, don't let me pick out carpet. I said, I totally agree. I love you and I agree with you. But I looked at that and then I looked at the second one. I thought about our second house. I thought about our children were born during that one. And then through the third one, still there in Douglasville, and then the transition into Alabama and seeing our kids and I, I always, when I go to that, the first thing I go to is seeing Ethan learning to ride a bicycle on the dirt road by our driveway. It's the first thing I think about. And I think about all the things and building another house there and then on and on and on. But the one thing through living in Hiram and living in Douglasville and living in Alabama and living in Claxton, the one thing through going to uh, Praise Academy and going to Pleasant Home and going to Pinewood and going to Claxton and going to Truett McConnell. And the one thing from September 23rd, 1989, 
September 14th, 1997, and November 4th, 1999, and all the other dates combined. The one thing that is a constant that the ring is to remind us of, and I say this during weddings, is it's a ring because there is no beginning, there is no end. That's the signification of wearing wedding rings. Some of you didn't even know that, did you? And it's made of the precious metals of gold and silver and platinum and titanium. We put diamonds in some to recognize the importance and the significance, the, the expense. But nothing can compare to the love displayed at Calvary that made the marriage love exist for a husband's to love the wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I want to look at the contrast between the world's idea of love and what real love is this morning. Somebody needs this because I said, Lord, this is not really on our whole bigger than and and he said, what, what's bigger than my love? You see, I wrote this down last night. It, it just came to my heart. I got thinking about this. Because in this, in this chapter, as I've already alluded, he starts off with how we're to be offering ourselves on the altar as believers as a reasonable sacrifice, a, a living sacrifice, a, a reasonable offering. And then in the giftedness, when we move on and we, he, he talks about in this chapter how we're to work together. I mean, we have Sunday school teachers and we have deacons and we have uh, benevolence and we have uh, fellowship committees and we have people who cook and people who clean and people who do all kinds of things that they sing and lead and play instruments and preach and run sound and turn lights on and vacuum and do all the things that so many of us just come and go and we don't even think about the body functioning together. I wrote this down. If we're to have the mind of Christ, which Paul instructs us, right? Doesn't he say, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, having the mind of Christ. If we are to have the mind of Christ functioning as the body of Christ, then the love of Christ will be the life's blood of the believer. We have the mind of Christ with the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that life is in the blood. Know the blood of Jesus, which is the example of the greatest gift man will ever know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen today in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. This word dissimulation literally means hypocrisy. Some of your translation says that. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate that which is evil. Now, this was a really tough lesson to teach as a parent small children. The word hate, we always say is a bad word. Don't, don't use the word hate, right? We say that. But then all of a sudden, there's a place you need to teach them what hate is, and that hate can be healthy. So we're going to contrast love and hate today and how a believer can do both and be right with God. Love, which is not hypocritical and hating that which is evil. Cleave or cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. Not slothful or lazy in business. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing Instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. 
be of the same mind one toward another. Let's start and break this down if we're to understand what true love really is. You may have been married for 20 years and not fully grasp the depth of what true love means. I am here to tell you, I am convinced that you can be a really good person. You can be a really good parent and not know the depth of what true love is unless you know Jesus Christ. You can't. The Bible says that. You can't know love until you know him for he is love. You want a love that will overwhelm your marriage? You want to love your child with the deepest? I see people all the time, they put pictures of their family, especially pictures of their children, and they'll put my whole heart. And I understand that. And I don't want to, if you've said it, I'm not talking about you, because I have nobody in mind. But I'm going to tell you what needs to be our whole heart, Jesus, and then everything else after. I get what you're saying. I I, I understand that. Have you ever loved so much or felt love so much you felt like your heart would burst? I mean, you would just explode. You love or experience love so much. I've told you all the story, but I love to tell it. So I'm going to tell it again. I remember mocking my preacher when he told stories over and over. Now I am one. So I remember standing right here. Not here, but in this position at Corner Baptist Church. And those doors opened, and Becky came through the door. I didn't cry because I was too worried about fainting. My little brother had already fainted at my middle brother's wedding. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, don't faint, don't faint, don't faint. Don't lock your knees. What does that mean? Am I locking it? Is this like, what, what? You know, what am I supposed to do? You know, go all Elvis or something. But all of that just completely went away when I saw her walk through the door. I remember leaning down into that little crib incubator thing and calling Emily by name. My big old blue eyes staring at me. When Ethan, after a very long night, day, and into the next night. He decided, okay, I'll I'll make my appearance and seeing that boy. To see many things, the day that Ray came and got me and brought me back over here and everyone stood, the day that Lauren and Philip sang Love Me Tender, I told somebody about that the other day. It still, it, it means a lot to me. And Becky and I, I mean, we went home and squalled because nobody had ever done anything like that for us. That is the essence of what true love really is. Loving and being loved with the love of Christ, where evil is completely cast aside with all the hatred and animosity of glory. Hate is hateful, but it's healthy when we hate that which is evil and cling to that which is good. I want you to start, and we'll, we'll start with the negative side and then move to the, the positive. Fake love versus fulfilling love. What's the difference? What's the difference in this fake Hollywood love and fulfilling love? The word hypocrisy or dissimulation both come from the same root word, which literally means to act. It is the whole idea of acting, of portraying. The one thing that always, to me, impresses me about an actor is one who can act in a complete different dialect in language. Some of you watched the the old show House. I never watched it, but I've listened to that guy. And he was just this old 
drug-addicted American doctor. But he's British or Scottish or Australian or something, but he, he has a very strong accent. Guy that played in Band of Brothers who was major winners. I, I, first time I heard him speak on an interview and he has a British accent, I'm like, no, that, it can't be. it's impressive how they can do that stuff because they work at it and they work at it and they work at it. You see where I'm going? Love is not something that is contrived through sound and spectacular ability. Love is something that is accepted through Jesus Christ and then funneled out in obedience. It is not hypocritical. We use empty words. We throw things out like, oh, I love you, baby. Honey, sugar, and all that kind of stuff. My daddy couldn't stand that. Couldn't stand it. I mean, that's why daddy would never eat at a Waffle House because somebody's going to call you baby or sugar. He had a lady that run the cash register for us in the grocery store, Bonnie. And Bonnie was precious. I mean, me and my brothers all told her and made her come up. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't do all this stuff that they do now. I mean, we, we do prom invitations like you're getting married. I mean, and all this announcements of whether it's boys and girls, that's cool, man. I mean, have at it. But we was old. And back, you know, when we used smoke signals and all that stuff, we didn't do all that kind of jazz. And, and so she always would tell us boys growing up in the grocery store, she'd be up front, She'd say, listen, if you'd go back in the back and get so-and-so, I'd dance at your wedding. We didn't have that kind of wedding stuff back then. I think it's pretty cool now to do all that. We had reception in the fellowship hall, and if you danced, you was going to hell, you know. So uh, I didn't want to go to hell, so we didn't. But we did make Bonnie come up and say, hey, you owe us when we were grown boys. But Miss Bonnie, she loved us boys, and she loved but. Every once in a while she'd do it, and Daddy'd just get all drawn up. He's like, I can't stand that. She don't even know who he is, and she called him baby. She may, he may think the wrong thing. Sometimes we use words that are not real, and we become fake in our love. Listen, it's not about all the fluff of life. Now, yes, I've given my wife flowers on our anniversary for umpteen years. That's when she gets them. Somebody said, did you give your wife flowers for Valentine's? I said, nope. Well, you always, I said, no, I don't. Never gave her flowers on Valentine's. I wrote her a handwritten note one time. Valentine's is a scam. She's got her birthday. She's got her anniversary. She's got Christmas. We don't do Valentine's. I love her every other day. Even that day, but every other day too. Is that right? But you give me anything for Valentine's Day? Nope. We're cheapskates. So we save that money, and usually our kids end up with it. But the thing of it is, love doesn't come in a box of chocolates, even though I like a box of chocolates. Love doesn't come in a bouquet of roses, even though I love fresh flowers. Love is the very essence of who Christ is. And it wasn't just fluff. You know, they all wanted to see a miracle. Show us something. If you really love us, do something for us. Jesus said, you missed the point. You've missed the point. Fake love is hypocritical love. It's an empty word acting where we say, begin. And what happens when they get to the end of that one certain section when they're filming, what do they say? Cut. It's a love. Hip, hypocritical love can be turned on and turned off. Have you ever stood back and watched somebody who turned it on turned it off? It's sickening. To see them, hey, how you doing, you know? Politicians have been caught on hot mics where they're glad-handing somebody and then all of a sudden that blankety-blank-blank, you know, I can't stand it. 
you live in a small town, you learn you're always on a hot mic. Because everybody but Ryan, me, and Ben Brinson is kin to somebody. So you better just be quiet if you have enough opinion. Hey, keep it to yourself. You're the only one who really cares about it anyway. Fake love is empty words, but what is real love? He said, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Real love says what should be said. It's with the right heart. Now listen to me, parents. Real love says the words that need to be said. And sometimes it's not easy. It's just not easy. We call it tough love. Tough love is real. Boy, I can remember when my daddy loved me tough. And I'm not even talking about the Spain. The heart, listen, the worst, the worst ever was not when my daddy spanked me. When my daddy come in and sat down beside me with tears running down his face because I broke his heart. That killed me. Destroyed me because I knew just how much I had dishonored him, dishonored the God who I had claimed, and dishonored myself because I had loved with empty words. But my dad said what needed to be said. The Bible tells us that a faithful friend will say what needs to be said rather than a deceitful kiss. I, I've had church members leave because of something I said. It breaks my heart. People think preachers take great pride in that. We don't. Any preachers that I've ever met that took pride in running somebody off was just really insecure with themselves. It breaks my heart. Because I'm going to tell you something. I never preached a message in the Spirit of God where I aimed it at somebody. Except for one. And I'm not talking about one message. I'm talking about all of them. But there's one person that they've been aimed at. And that's me. Because I fail worse than all of you. I need to understand that if I'm going to love, I need to say what needs to be said. People often tell the preacher, oh boy, you stepped on our toes today. Well, like the old preacher said, if I did, I missed because I was aiming at your heart. God's word is real. I, I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm reading through. I'm in 2 Kings right now. I dread getting to Proverbs. Any, any idea why I dread getting to Proverbs? Because there's no book in the Bible that convicts me as bad as Proverbs. Because he tells us how to live and how not to live. And he tells us, and he contrasts, he said, do this or don't do this. He that does this is wise, but he that does this is a fool. This and this and this and this. And, and so many times I'm reading through and I'm, hey man, bless God. And I'm pointing fingers and I'm, you know, and then the next thing God's blasting away at me. But I need it. And I keep reading and I don't skip Proverbs any more than I skip Leviticus or the first chapter of Matthew. Because I need it. We need to say what needs to be said. Sometimes, listen, it's not about your child's feelings. It's not about their security in thinking they're the prettiest, smartest, most athletic person in the world. Because they're not. You think your child's the best ball player in the world? He's probably somebody from the Dominican Republic and play better than yours. Think they're the fastest? Usain Bolt's still the fastest. He was the fastest with his hands out dragging the wind. She's the best dancer in the world. You ever seen Gabby Douglas? 
She's the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Take your pick. I understand what we're saying, but we need to introduce our children to reality. The reality is they are the most beautiful, they are the smart, they are the greatest in the eyes of Christ. Be all you want to be as long as your want matches his want. What do I want for my child? Whatever God wants for him. Because how can I want for anything greater than that? But I need to say what needs to be said. I've had, I'm, listen, it's so hard sometimes parenting, isn't it? To tell them what you know they don't want to hear, but they need to hear it. When they feel like there's a conflict in this world, whether it's at school or somewhere, and you really want to go to school and punch the teacher out, but you know what's going on is God is growing them because they're going to face adversity our whole life. I have a fit as much as anybody does on a missed call or a bad call. I'll throw a fit, one of them. I'll throw a fit. I told him the other night, terrible. Still should have swung. Terrible call. But you know what? If I leave a ball game, listen to me, all you parents that's going to be coaches, coaches and everything else. If I teach that child every game, it was the official's fault. It was the official's fault you lost, you'd have won. Then I'm going to teach them there's always an excuse. There's an excuse. There's always somebody to blame. You failed because of this. Listen, sometimes you didn't fail. You just got outplayed. It's not about that. Tell them the truth. Real truth is you will die and go to hell. You're not pretty enough to go to heaven. You're not sweet enough to go to heaven. Oh, they're a great guy. They'd give you the shirt on the, off their back. Well, they're not going to need it in hell. Tell them the truth. Intervi- invite them to church. 70%. 70%. Invite somebody to go to church. Tell them the truth. That without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. The average Baptist, by their own definition, by the way they live and what they say, really believes everybody's eventually going to get to heaven. And that's a lie. If that's the truth, then why did Jesus have to die? Tell them what needs to be said. That's real love. Dishonest love. This is what he... He's talking about is gifts without love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, look, you can do all this stuff. You can blow trumpets, bang cymbals. You can prophesy. You can do all this. But if you don't have love, you are nothing. It's dishonest. It's empty works. We can do all kinds of cool ministry in the church, but if we don't really love people. I was reading after Warren Wearsby on this context, and the last thing he said was, churches that don't love all people, if they hold back their love to a certain section of people, whether it's rich, poor, color, country, whatever, is a church that doesn't really love. Because I got news for you. Jesus loved the Samaritan woman. and She was a half-breed. He was king of the Jews. He went against everything and anything that had been taught. She even said, hey, I don't, what am I to have with you? You worship one place, I worship somewhere else. He said, no, 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 you missed the point. I am the one to be worshipped. Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus was poor. Lazarus was diseased. Lazarus was the just bottom of the earth panhandler that you would meet in the filthiest section of town. And the Bible said that the people around said, oh, how he loved him. Even the world saw his love for Lazarus. Does the world see that Eastside loves them? Now, I've been here five years. I've heard stories. I've heard all kinds of stories. Eastside this, he's, you know what? I tell them, 
I said, I don't know what you think about Eastside, but you've not been here since I've been here. And I, I, you know what? I don't accept anything you have to say because I know them. I worship with them. I fellowship with them. I go to lunch with them. They've cared for me and I've watched them care for others. Whatever's in the past is in the past. Whatever's in the future is dependent on our willingness to allow him to penetrate and permeate us with his love. Dishonest love is empty works. Doing, you, you know what? You can do the right thing the wrong way. So what does real love do? It does what needs to be done. It has right motives. And this is, you say, well, how do I know when to say something? I'm going to tell you the only way I figured that out. Because I used to think if, it's, if somebody's doing something wrong and I don't say something, then I'm compromising. But you know what I found out? I'm not God's personal mouthpiece. And I'm surely not the Holy Spirit. You know what? There was a great weight come off of me when I realized I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to convict everybody. And this is, and I'll just apply the words of a professor I had. If you can help it, help it. But if you can't, have at it. And in other words, if at all possible, the Bible says study to be quiet and be peaceable with all men. So if it's possible, keep your mouth shut. Unless God overwhelms you to say it, then you'll be able to say it in love, right? That's what happens when he prepares a table between you and your enemies. Can God? Yes, God can. Can you? No. Real love does what needs to be done. We've seen fake versus fulfilling love, but what about a failing versus functional love? He said, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Failing love ignores others in arrogance. Well, I just don't have time for them. I don't have time. Church is always, y'all want us to do more and more and more. And in essence, we're saying, I have filled up more and more of my time with other things. I don't have the same standard time for God. And so we don't want to come on Sunday nights. We don't want to come to Sunday school. We don't want to read our Bible. And, and listen, I, I've got news for you. It doesn't start by just quitting church. All these empty pews didn't start by somebody getting up one day, having taught Sunday school, served God, sang in the choir, served as a deacon, whatever they did. They didn't get up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll quit God today. It started with, you know what, I, I got something else right now, and God will understand. And so, you know, well, it's, it'll only last four weeks. And so, yeah, we can practice on Sunday. Oh, yeah, we can do this. We can do this. Oh, I, you know, I'll take a few extra hours. God knows I'm trying to get ahead. All these kinds of things. And before you know it, you have filled up all your time with worldly things. God doesn't matter anymore. Parents, hear me and hear me well. If God wants your child to have a scholarship, he'll get you a scholarship. If not, he'll provide a way for you to pay for what needs to be paid for. God will lead them in the paths of righteousness for his namesake if you will pray that and give them to him. But to sacrifice your child's soul on the altar of ball and recreation and any kind of sporting activity to where it trumps God. You say, well, it's just ball season. We'll start back here. I know this is unpopular. I had a youth pastor in one church. He took a softball. In the place we were at, softball was the dominant thing. And he had wrote Matthew 6, on there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. I had war with a coach that kicked Emily off the team because I said she's not practicing on Sunday. I said, so you're going to target my daughter because of that. Here's the thing. He was a church member. 
Well, it's just, I said, yeah, I heard that when I was a boy. And my dad stood on a baseball field with a coach, and he said, we're not going to start sacrificing the Lord's day for ball. Because if you open the door, you'll never shut it again. And look where we're at today. If you want your kids to quit God when they get to college and they move out, teach them now. That God's important only if there's not something else more important that day. We must have a genuine love. Instead of ignoring others in arrogance, we need to include others in the good times. What happened when the father made a great feast for the prodigal son when he came home? You remember what he did? What did he do? He killed a fatted calf, but what, I mean, all right, and he prepared this great feast, what, for him and his two sons? He invited everybody, didn't he? What about the master in that, that parable? What did, what did he do when he, he sent to, I just read it the other day, he sent to the one who just got married, and he sent to the one who just bought some ox, and he sent to the one who just bought land, and they all had an excuse. So what happened when his servant came back and said they all made excuse? What did he say? Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them all to come in. Listen, when God is blessing us, we ought to show the world and include others in it. How many of you actually look at a budget or a financial report here at church? We are above in giving our budgetary needs. We're the healthiest. This was our heart, wasn't it, Scott, Jenny? This was our heart two and a half years ago when we started tightening the belt, tightening the belt, tightening the belt. We cut fluff. We cut other things. Ben, I didn't mean to. You're the biggest worker of them all. And I can remember Ben coming in, we scratching our heads. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And through a lot of prayer, a lot of time, Church, we are debt-free. Our giving is above our budgetary needs and undesignated, not to include the designated of giving 20000 to Lottie Moon, uh, giving to Annie Armstrong that should be starting now, giving to our World Mission Fund, our cake auctions that's coming up on Sunday night, giving toward missions, a trip that's planned for June to Haiti, and we'll be having a meeting on that in the next week. All that isn't even included. Listen, that's, that is living an example of sharing in the good times. Real love includes others in the good times. Failing love implicates others with our attitudes. We blame. Oh, man, let something happen to us. We blame somebody else. Just what I said. Becky and I have, we, we disagree on just about everything when it comes to TV, okay? I don't want to watch some pioneer woman cooking. I could care less. All I'm worried about is a woman cooking my house. Amen. Look, that wasn't chauvinistic. She can, she can cook. I can't. I, I burn toast. She is unbelievable. Have I ever compared you to my mother except to say you cook as good as my mother? That's right. That's right. Except for biscuits. No biscuits. But there's something she did better than my mama. And I wouldn't tell my mama that. Mama, don't listen to this. They made me say it. Y'all completely got me completely off track. It's not hard, is it? I mean, slam off the rails. That, listen, our, our attitudes. You know, I can have a bad day and come in. She's the easy target. Y'all don't resemble that remark, do you? And I aim... At the closest thing. 
We blame others for our own failures. Man, I failed God miserably. Am I going to blame the church? It's not the church's fault. Am I going to blame my wife? It's not my wife's fault. It's my fault. But so many times we look around and we're, we blame everybody. And we take great pride in this whole attitude of, I just speak my mind. You're right. The Bible says that a fool will be known by his words. That's, I'm quoting, I mean, loosely quoting scripture. So many times we, we express our ignorance by how much we talk. By blaming everyone else. Well, it's his fault. I don't like the way they do that. And this and this and this. We've seen more hate speech in the last six months in the United States of America than we've ever seen before. Those who claim to be sanctuary campuses that is safe to disagree as long as you agree with us. And we will agree to disagree on our subject. But if you disagree in our very essence, then we're not going to be tolerant of your intolerance. This goes back to hypocrisy. We, it's the blame game. But what is functional love? It embraces others in the bad times. I.e. Jesus with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Oh, how he loved them. Jesus wept. He loved them in his heart. We embrace others in the bad times. Church, can I brag for a minute? I've never been part of a church that loved people better in the hard times than this church does. The little things that I find out after the fact that's went on, the little visits and calls and little gifts and little things. Church, the world needs to, not in arrogance, but in truthfulness, it will come out. We need to embrace others in the bad times. But to finish up, he said, love in a way that is not hypocritical and hate that which is evil. You know what the key to all this is? Separation. The Bible tells us that we cannot serve two masters. For you'll either love one and hate the other or you'll hate one and love the other. But you can't love them both. Separation. We've got to learn to love what is good and hate that which is bad. Now, in saying that, we must never personalize sin. There are people who get on my nerves. Y'all don't have that problem, do you? Get on my last nerve. But you know what? I've never thought about taking my gun out and just go kill it and be done with it. But the Bible says I don't have to to have committed murder in my heart for if I hate them, I've already done it. We must not personalize sin for Jesus died for people and he paid the penalty for sin. Hate what shouldn't be. What should not be? Abortion. We ought to hate it. Marriages that are broken up, we ought to hate it. But we don't hate people. Amen? I hate drugs and alcohol, but I don't hate drug addicts and alcoholics. I despise homosexuality, but I love homosexuals. For the truth is, they just think they are. Because it's not real, God didn't create it. They just need to know Jesus. You ever heard that? Oh, they'd be all right if they'd just find Jesus. My mother used to say that all the time. Bless her heart, if they'd just find Jesus. Well, guess what? It's our job to display him to them in love. You want to you change somebody's life? It's not going to be out there hollering, God hates homosexuals. God hates these people, God doesn't hate people. God hates Satan and the evil he has perpetrated on mankind, his creation. For God so loved the world. Hate what shouldn't be. Love what's good. Love all people at all times. We said we ought to love in the good times. We ought to love in the bad times. We ought to love at all times. When we love all people at all times, we'll remember the God of love truly loves us.
as they come to the instruments. If we're to have the mind of Christ as the body of Christ, then the love of Christ will be our life's blood flowing through us and everything. Right now, God may have pricked your heart and said, I haven't loved my neighbor. I haven't loved somebody with the love of Christ. I am having problems loving my spouse. I'm having problems loving my in-laws. I'm having problem loving my employee, my employer, somebody in my class, somebody on my team. God, may I display your love. The only way I can love them is for you to love them through me. Lord, may I experience your true love. I don't feel loved may be your answer. I don't, I don't even understand that love. Maybe you need to come today and say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved because I don't really know what that real love that you've talked about feels like. First of all, it's not about feeling. It's an experiential love. You experience it to the depth of your soul where emotions can't touch. For emotion, emotions come and go. Every day has not been wedding day for 28 years. But the love of a marriage, I would like to say, is stronger than that. Real love is the love that God displayed at Calvary. And He's displaying today through the continuing work of the Holy Spirit to convict and convince us that He is the only one that can love you kind of love you need to be loved with. Maybe you just haven't hated evil like you should. You've been dabbling in that thing, trying to love God and still loving the world. It's time to decide. As Joshua told the children of Israel, choose today whom you will serve. Stand and come. Ask God to refresh that love in your life. Come.